1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. Praise to the God who above. The nation circumcised all the men that were born in the desert, choosing to separate themselves unto God we look at another interesting activity the Israelites did in preparation for war as we join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 5, verse 9. And the Lord said unto Joshua,
0: so after he had been obedient... He says, this day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. And Gilgal is something we do point out when we go on our trip to Israel. We don't point out the hill of the other place we won't name. The word Gilgal means rolling away, which is the phrase here, rolling away. It means to remove from one sight. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day have I removed from my sight the reproach of Egypt. The shame, the dishonor, the low status of Egypt. What did that mean? See, while in Egypt, Israel had become like the Egyptians, so much so that they forgot the Lord. They worshiped idols. They lived in sin. And then when God rescued them from Egypt, it was to take the shame of that old life away and bring them into obedience. But the first generation never experienced that. They may have left Egypt, but sadly, Egypt never left them. It never left them. And so this was the last clean break from that mindset, one that wasn't easy to live out, getting circumcised as adults, but the new generation did it anyway. And as a result, this place gets a special name, Gilgal, the place of removal of shame. God's full blessing could now rest upon the nation because of their obedience. I was listening to Alan Redpath talk about this and he said, we have everything we need in Christ. Christ won the full victory for us. But if you and I are going to experience Christ's victory, we need God's full, ever pleasant blessing upon what we're doing. Do you see the difference there? Like We're in Christ. We're, we're saved. We can always come to the Father. We have everything we need in Christ. But that doesn't mean God's going to bless everything we do, especially if what we're doing is wrong, right? I can't go out and say, well, yep, I'm going to cheat on my wife, but God's going to bless me. No, you can't say that. Well, yep, I'm just going to you know, ignore the scriptures, but God's going to bless me. You can't say that. Remember in James, what does it say? Let him ask in faith, nothing doubting. For if the man doubts, let him not think he'll receive anything from God. It doesn't mean God won't give you anything, it means you just can't have the same expectation that a child of God who's trusting God can have. While Christ's full obedience to the Lord secured God's full blessing for us, we don't have to do anything to earn it. We can inhibit that blessing by rebelling against what we know God wants us to do. So let's not do that. Well, now that this issue of disobedience is corrected, Israel has one other area that they must obey God before they take Jericho. Because guess which day it is? It is the 14th day of Nisan. It is the day to celebrate the Passover. And so in chapter 10, it says, And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at evening in the plains of Jericho. Now that means they've been in enemy territory for five days. I don't know about you, but when I'm In enemy territory, I start getting antsy. Like, for example, when we were in Israel, and we were going through Jericho, which is part of the West Bank area, and our bus decided to stop. It was like a movie scene where like the bus gets attacked, you know, because there's nowhere to go, left or right, there's cars in front, there's cars behind, and here I am, a white guy in the middle of the West Bank. And I'm thinking, not just a white guy, but a bunch of white people with beautiful, you know, crosses on their shirt and everything. (laughs) Oh, we're from Calvary Chapel, you know, need target practice. And I tell you, man, I could not wait till we got out of that little corridor and we got on the two lane road again and we're moving again. I thought, you know, i look very American and very not Muslim right now. Israel was there for five days in enemy territory. They could see Jericho right down the road. And now they're having a party, a celebration, a worship service. Every year on the 14th day of the first month, Israel was to celebrate God's protection during that 10th plague, which brought them out of Egypt. It would have been very easy for someone to go, wait a second, time out, Joshua. It's wartime, man. Not a time of celebration. It's interesting, soldiers back then in pagan societies, they often saw themselves as exempt from religious activities when they were out on the, the front. That's not true of God's soldiers, is it? We are never exempt from religious activities. No one's exempt from obeying the Lord, no matter what other tasks are presently in front of you. People will tell me, well, I'm too busy to read my Bible. I'm, I'm too busy to pray with my kids or too busy to go to church. I'm too busy to serve others. But that excuse isn't viable to God. If you're too busy to obey God, then something needs to change. You say, but I've got a deadline. Okay. My job is at stake. My Mortgage is at stake. Yes, and Israel faces giants and walled cities and innumerable armies. But in the midst of all that, they keep this feast. You say, but how can I trust God when I I have these difficulties in front of me? How can I prioritize his commands over the task that I know I need to do to preserve my life? Well, you remember verse one? That's how this whole chapter starts. They weren't gonna do anything. Israel didn't know that. But God had already gone before them and taken care of it. He had already taken care of it. God had already taken care of any danger they might face. And so even though Israel didn't know that, here's the point. They didn't need to know that. They needed to trust and obey. They needed to do what they did know, not worry about what they didn't know. What attack might be coming, how they might defend against it, how they might tackle the walls of Jericho. They didn't need to worry about any of that right now. They knew that God had given them the command on the 14th day of Nisan, you celebrate the Passover. That's pretty cut and dry, isn't it? No confusion there. They needed to trust and obey. And do you recognize that you don't need to know what God's doing to trust and obey? That's the lesson, isn't it? Do you recognize that? Or will you only obey him when you see how it will work out well for you? I write all my my questions to the first person because they have to come to me first. Will I only obey him when I see how it will work out well for me? A lot of times we're doing marriage counseling, me and Bev, and tell people, okay, well, you need to do this is what God's word said. And they go, that won't work. And we'll look at him and go, we didn't tell you to do it because it'll work. We told you to do it because God said so yeah, but if I do that, it won't work. What do you mean it won't work? Well, if I do my part, they won't do their part. You don't do your part, so they do their part. You do your part because you love God, because you love the Lord, and you trust him, that he's working in your life. This would be, end up being the first celebration Israel had in the promised land. It wasn't probably super fancy, definitely probably had some soldiers still keeping an eye out, but they were obedient to the Lord, a special fulfillment here of God's promise, right? That he would bring them into the land where they would celebrate these things. But it's also special for one more reason, because after the feast, guess what they didn't have the next day for breakfast? They didn't have any manna waffles. They didn't have any manna burgers for lunch, no manna pizza for dinner, because for the first time they were able to eat fruit from the land like God promised. Look at verse 11. And they did eat of the old corn. It means any kind of crop that had been harvested already. So it wasn't something that was right out there to pick already. Remember, I talked to you last time about how the people of Jericho had all their stores already in place. So this came from harvest supplies that had been abandoned by any Amorites that fled into Jericho and couldn't take it with them. And so they were able to eat of the old grain of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and roasted corn because there was no yeast available. Remember, they're just newly crossed into the land. They didn't have the luxury of some of those special things you might cook with, but they did it that very same day. They were able to eat from the land. And because of that, because of God's the first fruits of all that God had promised would be their future of the land of milk and honey, because of that, they didn't need the manna anymore. So it stopped. Verse 12. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old grain of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So what I find interesting here is that both in the land of Canaan and the desert, God was the provider of their meals. The man is supernaturally or was through the food that he promised them in the promised land. Either way, he was the provider of their meals. When things are bad, it's easy to recognize that Jesus is your source because you know it's not coming from you. It's much easier to ignore that truth when things are good. So do you recognize that whether things are going well or you're in the desert, God is your source. He's your provider, not you. Let's be a people who always recognize that God is our source. I think there's another lesson here that can easily be overlooked, and it's this. I get asked the question a lot of times, why don't we see all the miracles that Jesus did? Why don't we see that happening all the time? Well, first off, Jesus was God right in front of us, right? He had the ability to do whatever he wanted to, to heal anybody he wanted to, anytime the Father said it was okay. And part of the messianic prophecies were that he, he would do those things. So I don't really think we're ever going to see something like that again because it's not needed right now in that sense. That we don't need to confirm the messiahship of Christ. I don't think we're going to see crowds of people coming to be healed all the time. You know, that's, I don't think that's necessarily a, a way that we might look and see the church operate. Does that mean that God doesn't heal anymore? No, we see in the. New New Testament in the book of Acts, we see that Paul's got handkerchiefs he's handing out because people can't get to him. So I mean, yeah, God still heals today and he can still do lots of healings. But Jesus isn't walking around. <laughs> and there's no need to prove his messiahship anymore because the resurrection was the final miracle that confirmed that. So I think we need to temper our expectations a little bit in understanding that while the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, Jesus is the only one that the scripture says that he gives not the spirit by measure to him. That's what the Bible says about Jesus. I don't know about you and me, but I get the spirit by measure. The Bible says he distributes to me the gifts as he wills. I don't have access to everything. Jesus was the only man who walked the earth who had every gift that was ever needed for every situation. I don't have that, okay? And people come to me sometimes, Pastor Will, I don't understand why our church isn't doing this. And I say, because I don't have that gift. Do you? No, well then go find somebody who does. Quit banging on my door. I don't have all the gifts. That's why we all need each other. Because all put together, every joint supply is what's needed. You know? And then God's work gets done. Well, there's one more thing here, verse 13. Now, all this is done. The circumcision is done. So the last kind of hurdle for the nation to really be in that place of God's full blessing is taken care of. The covenant is restored. Now they can fulfill it. They can say, we've kept our part of the deal, Lord. You promised the land to us. Now we can take it. The Passover has been celebrated. There's no other commands that need to be done. So what does Joshua do? He says, it's time to scope out Jericho. So it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, literally it means in Jericho. Now, obviously he's not inside the city walls, likely he was in the fields that are just outside the city. So he's somewhere within the city limits at least. It came to pass when Joshua was in Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there was a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, are you for us or for our adversaries? I love this whole scenario because it's quite interesting. But we start off here and we say, why exactly is Joshua here? We do not know. We do know he's taking care of every other area of obedience before tackling Jericho. So this was the next step, right? So let's go see what the city looks like. So it mentions that he gets there and he lifts up his eyes. And you had to do that because Jericho, it's a multi-tiered city with the angled living place outside the walls and then the walls themselves and the city proper. And so you would have to look up to see the city. So he's coming to these fields, traveling, and finally he looks up. But instead of seeing the city he doesn't see that. He sees someone. He says, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And it says, behold, which means a strange occurrence. Something unexpected happens. Right in front of him, he sees a guy with a sword out, not sheathed, but out. Seeing somebody, when I see somebody carrying a firearm, you know, you see him in line or whatever, and you see it's in their back pocket or something. That doesn't bother me at all. Seeing one out gets my attention. When someone's got it drawn, I'm wondering what's going on and where I can leave to Seeing a drawn sword in a war zone would immediately put Joshua on guard. But what's interesting about this warrior is that he's just standing there. He doesn't run when he sees Joshua, so he's clearly not from Jericho. But that doesn't necessarily make him an ally either. Perhaps he's part of another Amorite group come to help Jericho. Maybe he's one of Joshua's soldiers just keeping an eye on him. We don't know. Joshua doesn't know. So Joshua asks, are you for us or for our enemies? Now, if you've gotten your view of this chapter from the VeggieTales episodes, I have to say it's the answer that Archibald gives as the soldier is incorrect. Archibald in that video says, neither. That is not what the soldier says. And he said, nay. By the way, I'm not calling VeggieTales heretics. They're all good. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Archibald's just wrong in this one instance. And he said, the soldier said, nay. That's a weird answer to a question of, are you for us or for enemies? No. What do you mean? No. You can't answer that question. No. No. An odd answer, don't you think? I think often we get frustrated with God because we give him choice A or choice B, and he's telling us, no, it doesn't work like that. I think that's kind of what's going on here. You're asking the wrong question, Joshua. That's not even a relevant question right now. Have you ever gotten a phone call where it's a telemarketer or somebody, a salesman or whatever, and they, they tell you about a few products real quick, and then they say, now, which one can we sign you up for, this one or this one? And of course, you're put in a weird position because technically you can't answer no. You have to pick product A or product B. Instead, you have to be blunt with them and go, I don't want any of your products, goodbye. But the question is designed to put you in that place of awkwardness where you go, ah, because you know, they don't give you the option to say no. You have to say yes to one or yes to option two. Now, if you're annoyed by that, how do you think God feels when you dial him up and you're like, hey, Lord, I've got product A, product B, can you pick one? Because I'm cool with you know, either one. I'm just not sure which one's best. Do you think God's okay with that line of questioning? He isn't. And oftentimes we're not seeing God answer our prayers because we're not praying correctly. Now in Joshua's case, the question wasn't whether this soldier was on Joshua's side. The question is whether Joshua was on his side. And so he says here, no, but, but, which actually means rather, this is the right question. As captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, oh, I've got the right question now. What says my Lord unto his servant? What are my marching orders? That's a different question, isn't it? It's the right question. Now, who is this captain of the Lord's army, the Lord's host? The phrase host of the Lord or Jehovah's army, it always refers to angels. So this is a captain of the heavenly army, the angels of the Lord. And he says, as captain of Jehovah's army, literally the way the Hebrew reads, now I am come. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to give you the marching orders. I'm ready to give you the strategy for Jericho. I'm ready to lead the charge. Now, again, we don't know why Joshua came to look at the city, but what's more important is that the Lord himself has come to look at the city and all the armies of heaven are with him. So does it really matter what the strategy is at this point? It sure doesn't. It sure doesn't. And while that is an immensely encouraging thought, Joshua recognizes that his initial question's wrong and he corrects it immediately. He fell on his face to the earth and he did worship. This is how we know this is the Lord. Because anyone, someone tries to worship an angel, they correct the person. This soldier does not correct Joshua. He receives the worship. Because no man has seen the Father at any time, the scripture says, nor does... God the Father have a physical body. Jesus says very clearly, John four twenty four, that God is spirit. Those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That means this must be the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate state, in his glorified state. Remember Jesus said, Father, glorify me with the glory I had before I came into this world. That was his pre-incarnate state, his glorified state. So this is Jesus. Joshua gets to see Jesus, not in humility, but in glory. And don't you love Joshua's question now? What are your instructions, my commander? (laughs) See, Joshua might need to look at the city as the commander of Israel's armies, but the Lord reminds him, this isn't your battle, son. It's my battle. I've got all the angels of heaven with me. Let me determine the strategy. You remember when Peter cuts off the guy's ear and what does Jesus say? Peter, I can call a whole legion of angels. All I gotta do is just ask and it's done. These guys are crispy crittered. I don't need your help. I just need you to get in line. And that's right now what Joshua says, Lord, I am in line what do you want me to do? What are my marching orders? What's the strategy? And you know what's beautiful about the strategy here? He'll get the strategy soon, but right now it's just to be still and to recognize God's authority. For it said, and the captain of the Lord, Lord's host, said unto Joshua, loose your shoe from off your foot, for the place around you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. This place is sacred, set apart to God. And wherever God is, that becomes a holy place, right? That's why we're called holy, because he lives inside of us. That's why this place is holy, not because there's anything holy about this building, but it's because he dwells in the midst of his people. Wherever God is, that's a holy place. God's words here to Joshua echo the same words that Moses heard when he met God in the burning bush, right? And Exodus 3, 6 makes it clear who he was, that he was Jehovah. And so here we see, this is again, it's clearly the Lord. So he says, right now it's time for you to worship. And so Joshua did so. So often we're concerned about all the things that we can't know or that we're unsure about. More often than not, God doesn't want us worrying about those things. He wants us focusing on his clear commands that are right in front of us. And that's the next lesson in experiencing Christ's victory. I need to do what I know I'm supposed to do. The greatest spiritual, most spiritual man or woman that you can be is to wake up that day, spend time with Jesus, walk with the Lord, be a godly husband, be a godly wife, be a godly parent, be a godly kid, shine your light for all men to see, and then lay down your head at night and do it all over again the next day. That's your greatest call every single day. Now, certainly, that doesn't mean God doesn't have specific callings for your life. That's not my point. But throughout your life, there will be many moments like that where you have to seek the Lord And he will lead you to that place. When Jesus, in John chapter 7, he came to the great feast and they're all debating who he is. Is he good? I don't know. I don't think he's good. I think he's bad. Some complaining, some saying he's great. Well, then he shows up and he starts teaching. They're going, he's from Galilee. He's not studied under any of the rabbis. How do you know so well since he never studied under any of the rabbis? And Jesus says... If you would just do what you're supposed to do, you would know that I'm from the Lord. You would see it all over my life. You would see a life that's walking in obedience to God, that's living in obedience to God. And you wouldn't be sitting there going, which rabbi school did he go to? He didn't go to any rabbi school. How could he be from God if he didn't go to any rabbi school? You would just look at his life because you'd recognize the same life in your life. You would recognize your love for God in him by that life of obedience to him. And then you would know the things that I'm saying, that they're from God. It's not rocket science. It's funny, when I first got here and used that phrase, people told me and said, be careful, Will, there are some people here who actually know rocket science. We have some people who work at NASA here. But Christianity's not that complicated. People oftentimes will say, well, have you thought about what you're going to do here? What's your five-year plan? I'm like, I got the 24-hour plan, man. (laughs) I I got enough on my plate right now. I've got an amazing wife to love. I've got Six kids to, to raise up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I've got a job that I hold. I've got to be a pastor. I need to be faithful with that. I've got to let my light so shine before men that they glorify God. I've got to make sure I put gas in the car. I've got plenty on my plate, bro. And that doesn't mean you don't plan for the future, but you need to take it day by day. And everything you do in the future, it needs to be, well, that's what the Lord's leading me to do. And if the Lord wills, that's where we'll go. But for now, I need to go pray with my kids. I need to pray with my wife. I need to read my Bible today. I haven't done it yet today. Those are the greatest, most spiritual things that you can do each day. You need to do what you know you're supposed to do, even if it seems like it doesn't move you forward at that moment. Even if a battle looms in the distance, you and I need to do what we know we're supposed to do right now, because God has gone before you in ways you can't see to deal with that battle, and you have to learn to trust him, because when the time is right, you'll get your marching orders for that. For now, you need to follow your present marching orders to know, do the knowable will of God and let the unknowable will of God work itself out as he leads you to it in his timing. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you do keep it simple for us. I know I make it complicated, Lord. I don't know if anybody else does. I always often get caught up in the future. Or, what am I going to do here? This this is, this is coming down the pike, Lord. I don't know, I don't know what we're going to do. Coming down the pipe, I don't know what to do, Lord. And you say, be still and know that I'm God. Lord, you say, trust me, obey me. Lean not on your own understanding, but in everything you do, acknowledge me. I'll direct your path. Walk in obedience to me with what's in front of you right now. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There's enough temptations in front of you today, Will. That's your constant word to each one of us, Lord. So help us to be truly spiritual people, the most spiritual giants we can be, to love our spouses, Lord, to spend time with you, to be men and women of prayer, to serve our kids, to honor our fathers and mothers, to shine our lights before men that they might see you. Lord, help us to be focused on that and content with doing that, knowing that you are going before us, even if a great battle looms in the distance. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: God longs to bless us with more of his presence in our lives. He wants to lead us and guide us to the good things he has in store for us but we can inhibit his work when we fail to obey God in the little things. When we don't trust him in what he has already told us to do in his word, we can miss out on a life lived in the victory of Christ. Let's not miss out. Run to God, trust and obey him, and watch him conquer all the battles that life brings us. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando.